Step right up, ladies and gentlemen and genders of all ranges, and welcome to the Art Pit. Conducted by the Jeremys, a pair of purveyors of fine art and oddities via the best damn dark gallery this side of Long Beach, the Dark Art Emporium. Listen in wonder as we jibber-jabber about all things art, music, movies, and whatever other jive we decide to mosh together. Faint of heart, beware, and welcome to the Art Pit. Yeah, well, welcome. Welcome back to the Art Pit, ladies and gentlemen, here at the Dark Art Emporium in lovely Long Beach, California. Uh, today, uh, we are focused on our newest exhibi exhibition. Uh, exhibition? I don't know why that sounds weird in my mouth right now. <laughs> <laughs> it just does. That's what she said. Right? <laughs> so many times. Um, you know, show, exhibition, uh, yeah. Uh, showing of work by David Van Gogh, the amazing DVG. How you doing, David? I felt better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're going to talk about how shitty we all feel. Yeah. Well, except for Lauren, which, by the way, welcome to the Art Pit. Hello. Welcome to the Dark Art Emporium. Newest member of the family here. Um, Lauren, is. Uh, you'll, you'll see her uh, when you come in person. She's going to be uh, ringing things up and helping people out and uh, generally just uh, being a part of what we do now. So yeah, I'm excited to, to do it with Excellent. you guys. And, you know, of course, um, for all of the five words that he will contribute over the next hour or so, <laughs> we do have Jeremy Shaw. I am here. I'm <laughs> physically here. Bob Penny. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm Jeremy Cross. So now that we, uh, we have everybody properly introduced, let's talk about last night. Let, so Let's do it. Last night was, uh, it was technically our second in-person reception since things, right? Was it our second yeah, one? I kind mean, kind of. It was certainly the one that felt the most like an art reception. Yeah. Um, the first one, you know, there was, it, just, it was not as, a, as attended. People were still being a little more cautious about that. And to be fair, uh, that makes sense. Um, but we, uh, we had a good crowd last night, um, you know, still careful and masked and you know appropriate but we had a good crowd of people that came out to support which made me really happy i actually got uh, i got teary-eyed several times during the evening because it, it felt like old times again yeah yeah and it, it makes sense that uh that that happened for your show because people have been really excited about this um for years literally two years we've been waiting uh for this yeah. moment and fuck the pandemic it was happening right yeah it was really nice it was a kind of welcome return to um, some kind of normality. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was really moved myself and honored by the amount of folks that came out, some of them as far as from San Diego, drove up and then drove back again in the early hours. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was splendid. It was quite wonderful. Um, it's always vindicating yeah. when people show up um, but I felt like everybody connected as well. I had a very personal connection with each individual piece. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was a success. It, it was wonderful. I mean, it was also just a great excuse to see people we have not we've literally not seen in a Absolutely, year and a half. Yeah. Like people that we're used to seeing on a right. very regular basis. Absolutely, that have yeah. been absent from our lives physically yeah. for quite a while. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, that, that that was very emotional uh, for for me, and I'm sure it was for you as well. Just Definitely. Yeah. yeah, sharing some of that space with those people again. 
yeah, it, it, it's kind of like a, it became more of a celebration, I think, don't you? I feel like it was kind of everybody collaborating together and, and, and getting <coughs> together to kind of like what lay waste to the end of this bullshit for how long ever, how long we're going to get it. I mean, <laughs> right. you know, it might be, I don't know, fourth lockdown soon. I don't know, but yeah. Yeah, who knows? Uh, uh, you know, as long as people aren't yeah. doing what they need to do, but you know, yeah. it's going to keep happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't want to get too much into that. But <clears throat> let's talk more about art. Let's do it. You know, we are the you know that's, dark art. Yeah, well, that's why we're here. The art pit. Uh, <laughs> kind of the only reason in a way. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, nobody really you know wants to hear us you know talk about anything else. I, I hope not. Although we were going to discuss your favorite sandwich. I know that was on the menu. Yeah, we were. Pun intended. Um, you a hoagie man? PB and J? What do you like? You know, I really, I'm very, I'm very simple, very vanilla in my tastes in sandwiches. So it generally just boils down to chicken and and mushrooms. And chicken and mushrooms. Of, and that's fucking of, weird, man. A little bit of cheese on it. Yeah. Oh, that's not vanilla. Uh, that's no. <laughs> I'm so glad I asked because that's a weird fucking answer. Really? Have chicken and mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. Who has mushrooms just laying around to put on a sandwich? <laughs> well. <laughs> Vanilla. When you said vanilla, I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to be turkey and spicy. Ice cream. <laughs> or a vanilla-flavored yeah. sandwich. Or literally just a vanilla sandwich, yeah. 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 No, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> is that like a, a British thing? A couple of portobellas, and <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah, you're off, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. good. It is. It's exquisite. It's I, really good. I yeah. love portobellos and yeah. chicken. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure it felt much more like a celebration to you since it was the conclusion of three series that you've done. I, I, I kept kind of sort of approaching it from the notion that I, I because I was still so close to the work it hasn't quite hit me yet I, I, I'm sure I'll go through that inevitable kind of grieving process um, how, I, my, how close to the opening was the last brush stroke it was a month exactly oh, yeah. but then it was all that kind of preparation of like varnishing framing sure uh, marketing publicity delivery all that kind of thing so it's it's it still felt very present. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I dare say, like once Monday rolls around, <laughs> I won't know what the hell to do with myself. But um, yeah, it, it. You're right. It definitely feels like the because uh, it, it is the end of an era. It's been a decade of my life. Yeah. So um, where I go from here, I, I, I've kind of got a nominal idea. Usually what happens with every series I do, there's one specific piece that speaks to me, that says, that gives me some kind of like pathway to what I'm going to be doing next. And in this series, it could be several of them, yeah. but one very specific piece I would say is the dead tree. I, I, it really kind of instilled some kind of, something that I want to explore a little bit more of. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I know vaguely what I'm going to be doing next, but it's certainly not going to be on the scale that these last three series have been. I think we're going to get a life back, quite honestly. Yeah. It's going to be quite nice to have a little bit more free time, especially because the last five pieces were all done in the last four months. Which is just fucking crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. A, that's an intense turnaround. Yeah, and it was funny as well because I actually thought I was only going to keep it to nine. Um, you know, because the original notion was to do the nine circles of Dante. Right. Um, and then I kind of wanted to squeeze one more out for myself, one final circle for me. 
in hell. So I, 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 I thought, you know, I, I, can, I can really push it, and I did. You know, I managed, to, I managed to knock that one out in, like, less than a month. It was, like, three weeks. So, wow. I mean, it was, it, was, it was long days, though. It wasn't, like, days where, you know, I'm just kind of, like, like a normal... I'm putting in sort of a normal seven-hour day. It was from morning to, like... Kind of like what we did last night. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's go ahead and get that out of the way. Yes. <laughs> so that, that, that celebration vibe it, it, that we were talking it, about, it definitely like, I think it took root yeah. in us in a, a very intense way. I, and it um, wasn't just us. It was, it was a whole host, a plethora yeah. of people that kind of followed. And I kept, I'm, I kept saying goodbye to people over and over. And I'm just like, are you still here? <laughs> <laughs> Like, just, am I still here? Am I still here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'd stepped out of the picture by about midnight, I think. Um, yeah. yeah. No, it was, uh, we're all feeling a little, a little sore today. Sure. A little tender. A little fuzzy, a little, a little rough around the edges. Yeah, but we, we partied hardy. And, and, we did. You know, it, was, it was worth it. We, we drank yeah. like we were trying to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> and now we're feeling every, every... Oh second of that slow death right now except for you lauren you're the, yeah. you're the only, only, one, only one who just got to sit back and laugh at us I, I, the it was entertaining time. for sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah uh so yeah that celebration vibe man it was it was for sure there yeah it's um, really good seeing everybody because like i had people that come to the gallery for every show last night and you know being locked down and not really having this you know we lost our community yeah and we re it returned last night. Like I got to see yeah. those people. Like you know, and you forget about some of them. And then oh shit, I saw you once a month. Like right for years. Yeah, you know, and it's great to see people again. Yeah, it's one of the most kind of like exciting and almost vindicating things about what we do because we spend inordinate amount of times isolated anyway as an artist. Yeah. We don't get to see people, and certainly because of the pandemic, and because of the scope and size of the series I, and the concentration, I I didn't get to see people like a lot of everybody else for you know over a year. Um, but it, it definitely felt like it brought people together. It felt like it was a revitalization of of something that we'd lost that yeah. was so integral to the thing that propels us anyway. Which you know, because art gives you that community or specifically the art that we do. Yeah. Um, it's quite easy to feel mm. unmoored and, and quite isolated. Um, but last night certainly felt like, again, you know, we were all kind of like brought together and yeah. I'm still, I'm still I'm, I, I, like I say, it's one of those things where I don't, I don't think that I've even begun to really process the whole Situation, you know, the because my expectation of it was merely just getting the things done so you guys could put them on the wall. I, beyond that, everything else was going to be a bonus. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the journey, yeah, then, to get there. So, we talked briefly, you know, 10 years, right. um, three different series. That's right. Why don't you kind of walk us through, you know, how the concept began? Uh, what the three stages were, um, and we can kind of, and then we can kind of dig into the denouement uh, after uh, when we, once we get to that stage. Yeah. I, well, I initially I think the the first series was called um, Pegatorium, right? And and uh, 
I, at that time, I was, you know, I was still working as a graphic designer, but I, I'd ho always had it in mind that what I wanted to do was take um, Shakespeare's *The Tempest*, and I like what I liked about that was this idea of Prospero, um, exiled on this island from Milan, as a magician with all of his grimoires and his books, um, with his muse, because it felt very, um, very much part of my situation, it felt like I felt exiled. Um, this was before there was a dark art community, you know, there was, a, there was no kind of dark art society. Right. So it, when you say exiled, how did well, you, it how was, did you personally yeah, feel exiled? It, it, because, you know, it, the, the things that I, would do, I was doing at that time, there were only very few of us. Yeah. You know, you'll remember this, that, you know, there was like, we were outliers in, in what we were doing because really there was only hyena at that time that really wanted to explore what I would say was the darkest. For us, it isn't the darker side. Right. Um, but, you know, when if you're going to give it like a tokenistic title, then that was the darker side of the work. So it was hard to kind of find a, a placeholder for, to show the work that we were doing. And I'm more so because I lived in San Diego and I wasn't, I would only come up kind of sporadically for shows um, to the LA art scene. Um, so knowing that you, knowing that you had a finite community to begin with, yeah. it makes perfect sense that you would start a ten-year journey. Absolutely, of, of massive paintings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, to I, I, I guess to expand that community? I don't know. To, to, I, I don't know if that was part of, you did know. You, did you think about that at I all? I really did just like getting no. into the, yeah. No, I, I, with things like this, with, with a lot of the things that I do, I don't really invite the, the audience and, or, an, or an anticipated audience into the studio with me. It's very navel-gazing, singular, focused work. I feel like that's probably smart. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I, you Once know. Once you the, start pandering, you know, uh, yeah. what are you doing, yeah. Yeah, because the moment you do that, like you say, you dilute the process. Yeah. Um, but I, I certainly knew that what I wanted to do was something um, that, you know, it, it was one of those things where you could almost feel it in the air, in the ether. There was like this need to, to make tangible this other language, this alternative way of, of saying something. Um, this, and I, all I wanted to do was create this interior world and make large statements of it um, and certainly it was inspired by going to like see Christopher Ulrich at, um, at, at La Luz seeing his Christ Chronicator so because we felt very much allied in that in the kind of work that we were doing yeah. at that time um, but also because I, I, I knew that what I wanted to do was make it more literal in the sense that I, the, the, what, what I could do was use that as a prism to focus the, the, this interior world for myself by using different reference points, which is what I do. You know, it's historical, chronological, personal, um, it, 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 political. It involves all these sociological, psychological, all these different facets uh, to kind of like make this nice little stew, the soup, and have something at the end of it, you know, um, that's tangible, that's digestible. Um, so I, I started out with those 12 pieces to begin with for Purgatorium and I showed them in, I think it was Bash Contemporary when they had a place up in, in um, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and, no, and, and the only people that came was like 
like six friends. <laughs> it was, they were here last night as well. It was lovely. Oh, that's great. So, it, but it was, it was, you know, it was a, a long way to. There. It was yeah. like a nine-hour drive to to do the show in the Tenderloin. Um, I think I remember telling you the first time I got there, there was a chap crawling on his hands and knees across the uh, pedestrian crossing. You know, um, they could, you couldn't even, you had to press a buzzer to get in to the gallery. There was no foot traffic. Um, so it wasn't that successful. And I, I, yeah, I mean, it, I, I walked away, and it, it's probably folly that I decided, okay, I'm going to do another series. Exactly, I'm going to follow suit and make, uh, you know, Paradisos Fall. But that took a little longer. That took a. I want to say there was a four-year period between those two shows because in that interim period, I was, I had a, a studio down at, um, in San Diego at La Bodega. So that was primarily my focus but also I didn't really know I didn't really know what that next series was going to look like I didn't, well that was what I was going to ask yeah. I was like, like how much was it all was it pre-framed out and you're saying not much not much no I, in fact with Purgatorium there was one piece um, it, and it was it's like this very Sisyphean kind of painting of, of you know the Sisyphean character with this huge clock on his back it's a cosmic clock and he's running on a kind of treadmill. And, and for me, it kind of en embodied my life and existence at that time, this continual treadmill that, where, where you just can't get off it and all you're doing is carrying the weight of the day entirely. Um, you know, and then I use that series contextually to approach the shadow of my forebear, the godfather of modern art, you know, Van Gogh. Because, I mean, that's always... I, ever since I was a child, that's or Van Gogh rather, that's always been, you know, when you, the moment you say anybody's, you know, what's your name, and, and they're like, oh, like Van Gogh, the artist, yeah. you know. So immediately, you, that your predecessor eclipses everything you do. You, you have this idea that you know, I'm never going to be able to accommodate anything greater than this forebear because the yardstick is so great and so extraordinary and, and so revered that I'm, I'm not even going to fucking try. So, but I did, I, I, I attempted to, as a kind of form of catharsis to approach. So he appeared a number of times as a character in that first series. Um, but, but that, you know, like, I think what happens is you're, as you're going, you're creating motifs that you can draw on throughout the process. And, and because you, what happens is these motifs become common props to say a certain thing. So I, the work reveals itself through that. You have like a little stock, stock cupboard of, your, you know... Your lexicon. A little lexicon of yeah. things that you can draw on every now and again to say the things that you want to say. So that made it a lot easier. But I think Paradisus Fall was the hardest to get going again because I, the, my approach... I'd had this idea initially to, and you can see it in the sketchbook, I'd had this idea initially to do something very, with a social conscience, because I'd been in, in the Barrio Logan, and the, if you go under the bridge there, they've got these beautiful murals um, by the you know Chicano community. But they're all very kind of based contextually around their own culture, historically. And I'd had this idea that what I was going to do was I was going to frame the series in that, mm. you know, from that. Benton mm. had this idea of um, 
Christopher Columbus arriving in America as a and I painted him as a mosquito, and it, it didn't work. It was absurd. I, I've seen it in, yeah. this, in, in the sketchbook, the sketch. and it's, it is absurd, but it, it's also a wonderful image. I, it, I it, it's, is, it's I, it was graphically it was, it's, pleasing. Some things sure. work great as, as, as sketches, and it's the moment that you take them and make them a painting that you realize the absurdity of it. I couldn't make it work. Yeah. So what I did is I just drew it back into myself, and the first piece that I did was the self-portrait for that series, and everything fell into place after that. Um, and then I remember as well, I was, because I live in Julian, which is a small mining town about an hour and a quarter, 4,000 feet above sea level in the mountains in, in uh, San Diego. And I remember walking down the street and I was so like, talk about not being able to see the wood for the trees. I was so mired in trying to understand what this world would look like. I, I, I just couldn't see it, I couldn't visualize it. and then. We were walking the dog, and there was this beautiful pathway. You could see um, the, the desert below with you know the beautiful kind of rolling valleys and mountains. And I was like, oh fuck, this is it. I, this is paradise. This is I'm in it. You know, this is so that that became the geography for that second series. And it, you in, in, <clears throat> in all three series, you intentionally had all of them, all of the scenes take place outside, right? That's right. Yeah. And, and, yeah, I, because I felt like, because it lent itself to like the epicness, I'm, and I really like cloud formation, so sure, it's one yeah. of those things that I really liked. Less so in this series, I tried to make it like this continual sense of, of, the, of a dark shroud, kind of oppressive, oppressively falling down, uh, or, or you know, coming down on people, but with all of the, those three series, I have had a tendency to, to put them Exterior. It's it's this idea of, of of informing the interior world with the exterior world. It's the microcosm as the macrocosm. Um, you know, so the geography always kind of lends itself uh, psychometrically, if you will. You know, that's kind of the way that I've approached it. And it, it, to me, it's it's interesting too because they're the scale of them is such, such large pieces. Yeah. And because they're always a view of some sort of a landscape in the background. They, they, they appear as windows, and a series of windows where you're watching this shit unfold right. in the world. And, and so it, it makes perfect sense just from that standpoint as, yeah. as, a, as, as a viewer. Yeah. yeah. I, I think the other thing as well is that, you know, because if you live, if, because I'm from the UK, everything is scale-wise is so small, whereas in galleries you can see these huge, sprawling masterpieces. You know, um, from everybody, from you know the Flemish artists to the Pre-Raphaelites. So I've always been kind of enamoured with that idea, um, and it wasn't until I got here that I was able to realise that kind of vision. Because I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to do a large-scale series. And also, I think as well, like the moment that you 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 approach a work from that intention, it it it, it comes back at you and it tells you that what what you need to do is needs to say something it needs to be epic it needs to be it needs to accommodate the space that you're giving it that you're affording it so that was i think that was why i approached it initially to do that that large scale um and plus you can get down in the weeds with the the details and you know those little things that those little meticulous um, symbols that you can put in there that maybe somebody will miss but you can kind of you know those things can propel my 
the sails of my boat forever. You know, I, I, it might never sell, but I'm looking at it and going, fuck, like I'm so happy I, I was able to do this little minuscule thing that means so much, you know? And, yeah. and you know, the term is, you know, maybe not appreciated or not, or I don't know, but it's, uh, Easter eggs is Easter the eggs. What comes that to is mind. exactly, like, yeah. Your paintings are full of fucking full Easter, Easter eggs. eggs and, you yeah. know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed with Easter eggs in movies and, and everything yeah. else. And so like with yours, that's it's just perfect. that little thing. It's like, man, what does that mean? And that's one of the great things about knowing you as an artist yeah. and getting to show your work is that you tell us what they mean to you. Yeah, you and give I give us th that information. Yeah, I, I think as well, you know, like one of the things I like about this process is there, there's, there's, you know, it's a multifacet of interpretation there for people. The first interpretation is when they initially see it. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, out of that 100%, people may only get like 25% of, of true understanding of it. So it's, it's not, and I cherry pick as well the, some of the interpretations. I don't want to give everything away. I leave, I think I, I leave enough ambiguity there for people to make a decision themselves. With my work, I'm always asking questions and never providing a conclusion or an answer. Well, um, for instance, like, when you will describe why you put something in there, but you don't necessarily tell us how it correlates to the other things no, in the piece, no. which I, I, that's the puzzle that I that's find fun. That's the puzzle, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we got you know a locust, and then you know what does the locust have to do uh, with you know the the, the floral barbed uh, uh, what, what is it called rebar coming rebar. out of the ground and, uh, and, and you know like how how do these how do these pieces play against each other? How do they work in the same environment? You know, yeah. we get to we get we get to fill in that gap. Yeah, I, I like the, for that piece particularly. What I liked is this idea of of an impoverishment um, internally and and you know externally and and I, I like the idea of like a, a kind of modern day society with brutalist architecture with the messiah kind of it, it's the two things don't correlate it's the a juxtaposition yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't it didn't it doesn't work in that respect you know if you think in terms of those mythologies you know where they're like one he's wandering the desert well, there's a kind of desert happening in the inner city as well. So those two things kind of manifested that. And then, you know, the, the idea of, of him spinning this huge, grotesque locust, it, again, is, it, it's the manifestation of, of this interior impoverish, impoverishment. By the way, we're talking about Fear and a Handful of Dust, which is the, the second piece yeah. uh, in, the, in the Infernal Denouement series. Yeah. Um, now, uh, we were talking kind of about the landscapes and the, and the backgrounds, and I think that with this series, an interesting switch is you went from that, that paradise view uh, from the last one to now we're in Liverpool. Right. Or we're in some fucked up, horrible version, version of, yeah, of yeah. a yeah. fucked up, horrible version of Liverpool. I, yeah. Which, yeah. You, you don't have a lot of fond memories of, of Liverpool, in, in, at least in the, with the architecture, you can tell. It, well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's my, it's, I, for a lot of people, it's going to be different. You know, my childhood wasn't sepia-tinted. Sure. Um, I, I think for a lot of people, their experience will be entirely different than my own. Um, what it is is a, a kind of idea, a, 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 a version of Liverpool that I have kind of locked away in my subconscious from the 1970s, more specifically, um, when, it, when it was more derelict, when, you know, unemployment rates were higher, when violence was a, a, a lot more redolent when um, 
you know, there was a lot of oppressive undertone. Um, and I remember that specifically during the 80s, Margaret Thatcher, you know, sending a memo saying, let's manage Liverpool to a managed decline. Like, you know, because it was, it was that stage where it was, it was so impoverished that it was almost a blight on the rest of the UK. Um, I had a really bad reputation for a while. That reputation's changed now. Sure. Um, yeah. I always remember somebody saying, there's a reason the Beatles fucked off from Liverpool. <laughs> I never yeah. came back. Um, you know, I have been back, and you know, I don't want to speak too badly about the place that I was born, because of course other people are going to have an entirely different viewpoint. Uh, it is better, it has improved. It, it, what, it, although it has just lost its cultural uh, status, one of the cultural status of Europe, um, it, for, for a time there they, they'd invested enough money and begin to build, you know, rebuild the city centre and make something of it. But for a period during the late 60s, early 70s, it, you know, it was all tenement blocks and burned out cars and you know, at a certain point in the evening, you didn't go out alone, yeah, and it was, you know, broken street lights. Um, so how did, how did that become, uh, why did you choose Liverpool for this series? What were you trying to use that to say in, the, in this, in the final? In well, the final I, again, it was the geography of this idea of something that's missing. Like, if you think about your own personal hells, you know, the place that you loathe the most is the place that you're going to inhabit. I could not wait to get out. Yeah. I could not wait to leave. Um, I, I can relate to that. I felt the same way about my hometown. Like, absolutely. I grew up in a shithole in Bakersfield, yeah. California. And like, yeah. you, you want to leave as soon as you realize where you're at. Absolutely. That's it. <laughs> uh, and, and so really, that was the reason. Um, you know, and again, it was like this, this, this sort of surface of some kind of soul this notion of, because I was lo entirely lost during that time. I, I, and the other thing is it never fostered my ambitions. It, it, I, I felt small and diminutive, and I felt, uh, I felt voiceless. Um, so I think that had a real, I think that it, it, the crux of that notion, that feeling, that semblance of, of, of being lost and isolated really really instilled itself in why I was going to place my own hell in that state. Right. You know, and, and it's funny because when I got, went home this year, because my, my, you know, my dad passed on Christmas Eve, and we, we kind of got stranded because we were only due to be there for a month to help take down his estate, you know, help with his estate. And, and invariably we got COVID at the end of it, and so we had to stay another month. And I really got that sense of like, personal crisis again about this feeling like I'm I don't I do not want to fucking die in this place it, it is you know it isn't entirely the same place but it still has enough of a psychic effect on me that I haven't really come to terms with um, you know the angst and the anguish that I felt growing up so um, it's very claustrophobic as well it's very small now that I live in like somewhere with so much space you know, I, I, I think, wow, we shared a house with like these tiny little bedrooms that you could, you know, sit on bed in the bed and touch the ceiling, you know, those kind wow. of things. So yeah. um, there's a charm in that. 
Um, but also, again, it, it, it feels like you are incarcerated. It feels like there's no way out. And well, it certainly at, isn't there. Looking at the, at the architecture, you, you say incarceration. Like yeah. A lot of the buildings, yeah. even, even down to the, uh, uh, the representation of the hospital, yeah, uh, like they, they look like they're they're prisons. Yeah, it, it's like it's the most brutalist architecture. Yeah, it's yeah. a mausoleum. It, it, I mean, obviously, for me, that particular the Royal Liverpool Hospital um, it has a lot of resonance because every single family member or friend has passed through its doors wow. and not returned. Jesus you know, Christ. so yeah. you know, so it it has that. You know, it has this. It's the oddest thing in the world because it's an extraordinary chimney that the, has the, been designed. The sort of Damocles. Yes, it's it's been, it, yeah. That's real. That's really that's honest. really that's there. Right? It's ready to fall down on your head, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it's quite odd as well because it, it geographically as well. The, the the funny thing is, there's there's a huge. There was at, at the time during the seventies this waste ground, and opposite was the Bridewell Studios, which was this old police the police station that um, I thought I was going to become part of that collective and they summarily rejected me horribly and I didn't paint for two years. Oh, yikes. Uh, when I, I, I presented this little portfolio of weird scrolls. Um, and then on the other side of the Bridewell is my old school, my secondary school, Liverpool Collegiate. So that entire geography there is, is like almost this sense of from the cradle to the grave mm. with this no man's land in between. So I, I, that's why I kind of placed the dead tree, the dead tree being, you know, the dead tr family tree in a sense, um, a pine tree, you know, the Christmas tree or pining tree. Um, it felt very much part of like my process of grief that I was trying to uh, accommodate there. So yeah, I think all of, the, all of the geography has some kind of personal resonance, but I think as well it has, like I say, this very psychological imprint on my psyche that you know, just seeing it can affect me as, it's almost like a post-traumatic stress. But, it, you know, in that as well is this kind of odd sense of home as well. This kind of like, it's not Ovaltine right. bedtime stories, but at the same time, there was a certain level of comfort that I got from, you know, seeing my gran and, you know, these places that they inhabited were quite awful, piss-smelling hallways and broken but elevators. Still, it's familiar. It's very familiar, and, 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 yeah. And, and like you said, there's going to be comfort in yeah, that. So, yeah. so it, there's this nice incongruity about it as well, this nice like, see, seeming juxtaposition between like this sense of home, but not really, you no. know. Um, so that, that, to answer your first question, I think that's why I wanted to place. I always wanted to do it. I always knew there was going to be a series with Liverpool, Liverpool the, in it, and it, it just happened to be that it, it, it was the infernal. And and what's been so odd about that is that like my intention from the off as as manifested, it's been very prescient. With each piece, it's kind of informed something that's happened, waywardly following its its inception. You know, certainly like my dad passing. Right. I I, I had I'd already begun the sketches. And then when he passed, it was almost like this reflection coming back at me. And you were a year and a half into this series when he passed, right? Right, yeah. yeah. So I'd done five. And it, I mean, I was, it, was a, it had been a slow process for me because of the pandemic, et cetera. And, you know, um, I, and I, knew, I knew kind of 
slightly where I was going to go. I, I, you know, I kind of let each piece inform the next one. Um, I could feel the gravitational pull towards towards what followed. Um, but once my, my was my, that a full tilt shift though for the yeah rest of absolutely the 180. Yeah. I mean, it was it was the bizarrest thing in the world because you know you have the wasteland piece where you have like the kind of in T. S. Eliot's the wasteland. There's a thing called the, the 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 Bradford billionaire in a silk hat. It's one of the passages in it, mm-hmm. and I thought, you know, that kind of really encompasses this notion of somebody who doesn't belong in a higher position, but is using, you know, people as serfs to get, you know, to to ride the back of of where where he's trying to go. But you have him trying to like unspool and unravel this this toxic Jack in the Box, and then the next piece is is. Hold on, before we get away from that one, really really quick, I have to bring up the pinky. Yeah. Uh, While we're talking about the Wasteland Beast, and I want to continue talking about how your father influenced the rest of the series, but the pinky thing is one of my favorite little details in the entire series. I had no idea that the pinky was tied to a fucking king and syphilis. Right, so it was... It's such a bizarre, Yeah, it was Louis, I think it was French Louis IV, and uh, what had happened was... Supposedly, one of the sort of symptoms I'd used syphilis in the previous series actually for the uh, the origins of black hole, and I'd, I'd used the same kind of mannerism. That um, when you drink, with the yeah, when you so what? Yeah. So what would happen is that also the, the this term stiff little fingers. That's one of the terms that we, was used. It's oh, a, like for the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so when he one of the things that he would do is he would drink his, his, his afternoon tea delicately with his, his, his finger, his little finger pointed out. And because the courtiers thinking this yeah. was like some kind of, you know, mannerism. Some genteel. Yeah, so yeah. what did the, uh, you know, they started to emulate it. And it became part of a societal um, thing that people still do to this day, and even I do, even yeah. I. It's, a, it's the polite way, the etiquette, to, to imbibe tea. So I thought it was a really nice idea of this, you know, un, un, um, unraveling despot. Um, Thank you, know. you for letting me sidetrack you with that. Oh, no, absolutely. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good to be reminded myself of these things because I yeah. can't always remember. But I think, again, just those details, that, that's absolutely one of my favorite in the, yeah. in the show. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I also want to talk about some of the other things that informed uh, the series, uh, but I don't want to lose track of where we were talking about with your with with your dad. Yeah. Um, so, specifically, um, going from the piece that before he passed to the piece after he passed. The violent hour. What 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 influence did that moment in your life have in that work? Well, I, you know, it, it's there's part of me that you know is always delighted by the idea of, of playing with, you know, religious imagery. Um, and it, it, it was initially the idea of, like, bloody robes. Wait, there's religious imagery in your work? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I know, did you miss it? Yeah. yeah. It runs over you with a truck, right? So yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I had, I'd like this notion. I'd been reading about Rasputin for some reason, and... He's a figure that, another outlier figure that fascinates me, the Mad Monk. And I'd read that he'd been, 
it took him like you know being stabbed and poisoned and, and shot and drowned yeah. before he actually <laughs> died but i had this idea of you know him kind of sta standing there in these bloodied robes but that kind of came back with the whole pandemic thing where i kind of thought you know it in a, in a sense you know if you're if you want to talk about this notion of 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 without getting too theocratic about it, but this notion of a father figure who is all-seeing and all-knowing, there's almost this sense of blame in a way, you know, where like it's this, this idea of blood on somebody's hands, you know? Sure. Um, there's certainly not an innocent character there. Right. Yeah. And then there was this alchemy thing as well where I was like, you know, the Red King, um, this, this idea of like the fourth, the fourth stage of alchemy to make the philosopher's stone is called the red king um so i i had this you know i thought it's a really good way of symbolizing the this idea of the father laying waste standing over his creation and laying waste which is kind of how i felt when my dad passed um you know it was, a, it was a it was yeah it was yeah. a it was a personal apocalypse it by the was, way we're talking about the violent hour painting yeah right the now, violent so hour yeah just, if, you're, if you're trying to find yeah. the piece to look at it well, yeah yeah and and i had him standing over my native liverpool um you know kind of the buildings because i always like the sometimes i like playing on the word on puns as well where you know the streets run red right. or painting the town red you know these nice visual images how do i play with that how do i inform a piece to say something because of course the colors of the liverpool football team as well is red so there were all, were all these kind of like connotations that i could play with to to i guess manifest this very singular vision because it's it, there's quite a lot of um analogy and symbolism in it but it's quite a simple arresting image it really doesn't need any, yeah, it doesn't have all the little little hidden bells and whistles or the, or the Easter right eggs. it like, really it, it it's it's hard hitting yeah. you get it immediately and that's and i think that's what i felt i think i i felt this notion of of somebody who who i can't speak to who is is, is has always been in a sense absent even though he was in my life right. um I could have a conversation and a dialogue, but it, it was it was never on a fundamental level, um, you know. So there was like this sense of an absence, and you know I liked the idea of of you know this this God figure standing over his creation, and he either looks like he's in benediction or completely batshit crazy. You can't make that distinct. Yeah. It's hard to make that distinction because of the way his eyes. Or heavenward, are they rolling into the, his, the back of his head? Like you know, um, it's certainly one of the most powerful pieces in the show. Yeah. And, and to your point, it's you know, it's basically three elements. You got the red city, you got yeah. the character, and then you got the nuclear explosion right. uh, uh, in the background. Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 super. Yeah, powerful. It was it was the chain. It was ups, You know, it was it was the red wedding. You know, to use yeah. analogy from the Game of Thrones, it was that moment in in. In, where everything changes, where you know there's there's a bloodbath, uh, you know a, a before and after. So it, it became obvious to me that the rest of the series would be, again, informed by the events that had happened previously. 
There was no other way for me to go after that. And I, I like that about, though, I, I like that it's a game of two halves. I like that, you know, it's that flip side of the album where, you know, the first half is, is entirely, is a bunch of kind of like um, rock, you know, kind of metal rockers, if you will. Sure. And then the, the second side is a lot more staid and melancholic. Um, and I feel, I feel that as well. It's so weird as well because... The color palette even just The color palette yeah, shifts. Everything. I, and, but the other thing about it as well is that, conversely, I was a lot more loose with my brushwork and experimental in the first half of the series, and that took longer. Mm. Whereas the second half only took four months, um, just out of necessity. But I was a lot more uh, meticulous and stated and, and, and wanted every stroke to matter. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like, as, it's not that anything was throwaway, but I really wanted to free myself from that thing that I've done previously with the other series where it's crazy because no it, the calculating, the, it's, yeah. it's so difficult, you know, to maintain that level of concentration of focus where, you know, you're, you're continually like trying to paint every single, you know, it's unnecessary in a lot of ways because your eye doesn't do that. Yeah. Your eye doesn't, when you're looking at one thing all of, at once, your eye never focuses on the singular detail of something. Our table in front of us has got glasses and Gatorade bottles and things, you, you know, your tattoos on your arm. I, I, my eye was only able to pick up certain elements at one point. As a painter, though, what you're doing is you're like, you know, if you look at the wasteland and there's all that rubbish, detritus, it's like every single thing I've like labored over, you know, cans and pig's feet. Down and to the, the porn, detail on the porn magazine. Porn magazine, yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, again, that was very specific. I wanted very much for that to be the, I want again, the, the sort of, the waste of one certain, polit, you know, who he who shall not be named, it, the detritus, but it, it, right. that kind of encompassed, um, that kind of encompassed a wasteland of, 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 of his disciples as well, you know? The sense that like the things that they are focusing on the things that they are privy to are all part and parcel of their internal diet as well you know um you know fast food we all do it fast yeah. food oil and pornography and you know it's, it's, there's a lot of gluttony involved there's a lot of gluttony yeah. Yeah. yeah and each piece as well that was the other thing i wanted to do i, I wanted each piece to encompass a circle of hell that was one of the main things i wanted as well there were two things going on. It was um, using T.S. Eliot's The Wasteland as, as jumping off points through the passages, and then each piece, you know, encompassing the, you know, all of the nine circles, treason, treachery, heresy, you know, all these different things that, like, are part and parcel of, of the circle, but not an absolute um, encompassed accommodation, just my interpretation of them. Well, that, and, that's, and then the other... Part of that triangle is then it's all it's all a filter of a, of a reflection of you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, it, there's there's a yeah. trichotomy there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it's it's been the, the the focus of the three series has been, you know, we, so as I say, Purgatorium was Shakespeare's The Tempest, Paradise's Fall was Milton's Paradise Lost, and and In, Infernal was The Wasteland, and it because they've all been three books that have meant a lot to me. 
Um, there have been three literary works that I've returned to consistently throughout my life. Um, but they, they, you know, I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do an, an absolute re, reinterpretation. There's others that have done it better. Like if you look at the illustrations Gustav Dorr oh, yeah. did, I mean, it's just not even, I'm not even going to attempt. No, it you has don't, to you don't be. play in that sandbox. Right, yeah. right. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I also want to uh, touch on the, um, the other influence or influences um, for this series, which are, you know, it really became obvious once I started digging in and reading and uh, talking to you about the works, which was how the pandemic uh, influenced some of these pieces, how the riots and the Black Lives Matter movement and right. some of that, like that, that, that weird thing is how that correlated to riots back in Liverpool, right? Right. Yeah, like, like I, wanted, I want to get a little bit of the agony uh, in Stony Place's detail because that's got a lot going on in it. Yeah, it does. And, and a lot of really powerful, yeah. like, current event stuff yeah. that was personal. Uh, Absolutely. And it was so, the sort of evolution of that was, was such a happenstance because what I'd done was I got, I'd returned to um, Dante's Inferno again and I got, I'd been looking at Gustave Dorr's illustrations. And there's a moment in it where there's two demons, Cal Sabrina and, and I can't remember the, the name of the other one. Um, he, they, 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 they fight and they fall to the blackened pitch. They're both on the same side and they tear each other apart and they're pulled down and they, they're swallowed up. And, you know, the blackened pitch, of course, is the, felt, it feels like the tarmac of, of Liverpool because there's this, this very kind of, like, integral mythology in Liverpool as well about the show that Alan Bleasdale created called Boys from the Black Stuff. Mm. And it, it's, it's a four-part episode. Um, one of the characters in it, Yossa Hughes, goes slowly insane but one of the jobs that they did was they used to lay the tarmac or the asphalt and that, that you know during sort of uh, the unemployment in Liverpool they kind of left and so it has this other connotation about you know they're boys from the black stuff they're boys from black matter and then I'd been looking at alchemy as well and one of the things I'd been reading about was one of the processes called nigrado which is you know the the moment of putrefaction so the idea in the it, to reach, reach entire enlightenment, you go through four different stages to get to the, the stage of the Philosopher's Stone. And the first one is putrefaction. It's called the Nograda. And I'd, I'd, I, what happened was the pandemic had happened. And of course, the, you know, George Floyd situation of the cared and, and, you know, so on and so forth. And I felt, I, I felt like I'm not a, di I'm not a didactic artist, I'm somebody who's very impressionistic, I'm not somebody who's able to speak um, very tangentially about things, social things that are happening, but I felt like it was very important to log this period of time because I, I feel like I was made for this, I felt like, you know, this is all of the artists respectively that I've been fascinated by forever, I've, I've been the Goyas, you know, 100, 100 years war, Otto Dix, the First World War, you know, Picasso, Guernica, all these extraordinary events have informed the work themselves. And there's writers that have done that. I mean, Eliot himself, T.S. Eliot, while writing The Wasteland, was in convalescence by Lake Geneva, in convalescence from the Spanish flu. So again, that came back to me, I'm like, shit, this is so redolent and so kind of pregnant, but like so fertile for me to dip in there and find different ways to approach it. So while I was looking at the, the black matter thing, 
the, the word Black Lives Matter became part and parcel. And I, I'd been reading about Dante's life and, and how he'd been exiled many years, you know, um, after, or no, just whilst he was writing um, The Inferno, he'd been, he'd been exiled himself um, from in Italy. And so um, he, but he'd been fighting as part of with the Guelphs and the Ghibellines and the, the uh, crests on one side are black and white. So it became this idea of a light and darkness battle. And then, conversely, I remembered when I was... Yeah, they definitely have a, a yin and yang vibe of the way the demons right, are Right, this yin and yeah. yang, this Uroboro that continually right. kind of eats its own tail. So when the Black Lives thing, Matter thing and the riots were happening, it really brought back what had happened in my hometown of Liverpool in the 80s. And there'd been this... The, it, my hometown of Toxteth in Liverpool was, again, this very kind of mixed community, um, very impoverished um, and in fact, the street that I lived on, Dove Street, um, we were the last, all of the houses along that tenement had moved out. So we, we, we were the last ones in, in the mid, this middle block and all the other houses were empty. And was, it a, was it a we aren't going or was it we just hadn't had the opportunity we to leave? Okay. We just didn't have that situation. We were poor um, and we, we were, I think they call it section housing here. But we were, it was council section housing, eight or low section income, eight, yeah. yeah, so it was low income housing. And, um, and so we were the last one on the block to get moved. And what happened over that period was all of those other houses became rat infested oh, and sure. people began, squatters began to move in. So it was a really, you know, it was a really bad vibe to it. So then the, the Toxtus riots thing happened because a, 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 a chap, a black, a black, uh, one member of the community had been taken into a police cell and had died in the cell. Um, so, of course, it was already a heightened tinderbox ready to ignite yeah. um, between the police and, and the black community. And over a, a I don't want to say like a three to four day period, it was, it was like the situation that happened with Rodney King. In that specific part of Liverpool, and you, you know, I, you could hear of a night, the sirens, and and like you'd look through your little neck curtains, you could see like the flicker of flames, and you know, the shout of voices, and people running down the street, and we were really lucky. Our house wasn't burned down. It was really, but it really left this sense of, of you know, a, a, this impressive. Um, almost like a prison riot, like you were, right. you were like stuck in your cell. Um, so I really wanted to approach that, and I, I, I also, I also felt like I wanted to redress the fact that you know, as an artist, during that time, uh, you know what had happened with George Floyd, there was a lot of understanding where you know, the, the, there are things that you can do as an artist. You, you, you can't ever inhabit what it's like to be a black person. And, and certainly, you, you don't ever want to be somebody that is pontificating because they don't want to hear from us. They've oh, already, they, yeah. they've already I, fucking... I never got the... And, but I don't, like and, and so what, it want, I, like what I really wanted it to do was place it in this very ambiguous setting. But I made one of the, one of the demons, obviously... You know he's black, right. um, 
because I, I wanted to address that idea of like this absurdity of like really the color of skin being you know this this such just abstract idea you know that that pe people you know particularly white supremacists have made such an issue of because uh, I've even got his arm being stripped back yeah I love you know, the this, exposed bone this yeah. exposed bone this idea that you know um, the, the the two are interchangeable there but they, neither one of them. Is, is one one is different from the other? They're you know entirely the same beast, if you will, uh, in that in the sense that, from a race point of view, it's it's separate. But as a human being or a demon, yeah. And it was about the demon. It was about demonized and who are the demonized and who are the de demented? You know. I mean, and is that a police car that's on fire? It is. Yeah. It is yeah. actually a police car. And I got Dante kind of staring into this new inferno. Yeah, you know, uh, I thought that was quite a nice touch. Just kind of have him stand in there. It, it, it's hard because you can, you, you kind of like you look at him. You kind of think, is it like an old gran in a in an in a house coat? <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of staring into the fire. But you, you kind of get in there, and it's like this nice ambiguity. So it, I didn't realize that. I thought it was like a hobo warming his hands over the campfire kind of thing. Like he could, he could end it. He's not. He's there the with, um, yeah. with the marshmallows. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So one of one of my favorite things when we do shows with you is that we can see the the sketches mm. and then the painting. Mm. Um, in Agony, the original and the sketch, yeah. it was a sea seascape. Yeah. Instead of a police car, it was a sinking ship. Yeah, and 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 that just shows you the evolution as I'm working because you know I, I fully intended that to be like I say the two demons from Dante's Inferno falling into this blackened pitch, and it was while I was. I was I was actually painting it. I realized, you know, I want that I want that uh, this continuity of setting. I want I want it to be very land based. I don't want to feel, have the sense that there every it, there is an island. That we're all kind of like stuck in the same place. So it became obvious to me that they're, they're being swallowed up by their environment. That they, that the the environment itself is. You know, if they just take a moment to realize they're both part of the same oppressive system, mm -hmm. um, that that they're you know they're baptized by the same world, um, you know, and there's this theme of baptism throughout the whole series as well. You know, the first part, of the first piece uh, is a, is a baptism of is a baptism of fire, and then there's the baptism of you know tar, and then there's a baptism of blood. Mm -hmm. And then at the end, there's a you know, baptism of water, but it's the final, it's the last baptism. Um, I really wanted this sense of like always being kind of like immersed in something that, that, that changes you, that anoints you, um, that you become almost liquefied part of it. Um, so I, I, I really wanted that sense with that. But I didn't, I didn't again, I didn't, because it, it's fire, you know, the moment you put fire and water together, it has a an entirely different connotation. Whereas you put fire and tar together, it's a very volcanic sense of eruption. You know, yeah. um, so so that was that that was one of those pieces where where it, it it came together as I was working on it. And I don't, I generally don't work that like that because I'm very with sketches. I'm, I'm it, it's it's very specific. It, I like to be working absolutely from from the, my notes, if you will. Um, I don't like to deviate. All of the kind of thought process, all of the, the, the fun work is done 
in utero and then when I'm birthing it, um, it, it, it generally just follows suit. It's just the, the work, it's very workmanlike. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, all I'm kind of, I'm following then is, is color and, and shade and hue and those kind of, and shadow, the, those things that I'm looking at at that point aren't, have not very little to do with the conceptual elements of it. So it was quite nice to be at that point during that and realize like this is as I'm painting this and things are happening in the real world this is evolving this piece itself is is organic it's happening with with the events of the present day it was, it was very interesting to do that it was a it was a nice to I want to in fact it, my next kind of focus is going to be less I, I want to get back to that sense of spontaneity that not having to imbue every single fucking thing with with so much pregnant thought right. that it, 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 you know even in the process of doing the annotations it, it's it's exhausting because not only have i already gone through the process of putting that together but i have to make a decision and a distinction on what is the message entirely that i want to give to the to the rest of the world i don't want to overburden them with so much information that that any semblance of spontaneity it's like listening to a record you, you know a phil Spector record the wall of sound right you, you you're not there in in the recording seeing all of these come together the beauty is just lit the list in the listening of it closing your eyes and 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 being sort of immersed by this audio audio extraordinary symphonic sound so i didn't want to overburden people with too much nuts and bolts of it, um, and I don't want to do. I think the next series is going to be more in that sphere. It's going to be a lot. It's going to happen in situ. It's going to evolve whilst I'm working. Uh, there aren't going to be like a multitude of sketches that happen before it, um, and it's fun that there's a sense of play. You know, it's it, 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 yeah, yeah, that's spontaneity. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't. There's no burden on me anymore to kind of like think well. You know, I, I, I've got, I, I, I like the idea of not knowing what it is I'm saying as I'm doing it. Um, that it reveals it itself. Yeah. That it reveals itself. Do you feel like, um, with all the work that you put into it, the research, do you feel like in any way that makes certain expressions a little more rigid than you would want them to Absolutely. be? Yeah. Yeah, and I think that rigidity. Sorry, uh, having done it three times now, that rigidity, um, as as you know, kind of made me a little weary from the entire um, process of of, of creating. Um, like I say, I missed that experimental experimental spontaneity. I certainly wanted a sense of experiment and play with the first half of the series. I was using textures. I was scratching with the end of my brush. You know, if you look at Fear in a Handful of Dust, the, the Christ crown of thorns is a crown of barbed wire, but I've, I've scratched it in with the end of my, a sharpened end of a brush. Nice. Um, you know, there's a scrap, there's, you thought it was, you thought somebody kind of been a little naughty during the show. And we totally thought somebody else. Thought somebody <laughs> yes. I was like, no, it's meant to have that in the wasteland, you know? Because um, I, I like that idea that when you look at something, 
it, it isn't fully formed, that, that you can, that when you're looking at it, it, it means one thing, but once you get closer up to it, it means something entirely different. Um, I, I like that kind of sense of play in the, in, in the first half of the series. Plus, it was really difficult during the beginning of the pandemic to get any materials mm. because all of the art stores were, were closed or only allowing uh, drive-by pickup. And because I, I live out of the city, it's an hour or an hour 30 to any decent art store. Um, so that was really hard for me to get any material. I know, you know, I didn't want to leave at that stage anyway because no one knew how bad it really was. So I, I like particularly um, with the Elephant Man piece, um, I, 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 what I was using was like plastic bags to make the textures in the floor oh, and fine. sponges and, 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 you know, that dripping effect in the sky. Um, I, I, I really wanted that, that sense of like, almost abstraction, that ugliness, uh, that putrefaction, to be writ large on the canvas. I didn't just want it to be the, the, the solitary figure that was blemished. I wanted the entire, the entire canvas to inhabit, inhabit that idea as well. That's really cool to know that. Yeah. That's, uh, that's yeah. super and there's drips, neat detail. There's drips all over them. I mean, <clears throat> there's, you know, a fear and a handful of dust. I, you know, it was like, I, I didn't want to overwork that sky. I wanted this sense of a shroud falling down. You know, you have this this white locust kind of almost caught in the vacuum of this black tar-like mist, and then beneath it is is this little slither of, of green sky that could be, you know, some kind of toxic waste in, uh, you know. I, it doesn't like, look healthy. It, it isn't healthy, yeah, yeah. It was this notion of pestilence, yeah. this idea that pestilence has a different connotation from, you know, the one that generally is not, it's not just a plague. It can be the way people, a toxic environment, it can be a toxicity of the soul, it can be a toxicity of a disease, it can be so many different way, interplays with that idea of what a pestilence is. So it, without even knowing it, it, it it happened like so bizarrely like two months into the series it, it was such an odd transition that you know I'd, I'd, I'd began the series when I did that it seemed like I say prescient like as if I'd almost made manifest uh, the, the, you're saying you caused the pandemic I'm saying that yeah. it's absolutely <laughs> all hearing, my so. fault yeah 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 he, he wanted his opening to be like oh yeah this is, a, this yeah, is yeah, awesome yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> everybody's back together it's great <laughs> sorry guys I'm glad, <laughs> th I'm glad this podcast didn't go out before then <laughs> yeah there'd have been people hitting me the, the wet market <laughs> yeah. is, is off the hook it's, uh, it's yeah, all David's yeah. fault people would have been burning these things right. in a pyre <laughs> It's, it's all evil incantations. Forget Wuhan, look at Julian. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking ground zero, San Diego. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, you talked about the baptism being a running theme and then yeah. the, the, the last baptism being the final piece right. in, in the whole series. Uh -huh. um, I figured, and I know that there's a lot of very personal elements in that painting in particular, but I wanted to know how that how that sealed the series for you, how that was the end, you know, what, what, did, what did that piece mean that it, 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 it allowed you to use it for the last piece in the entire series? 
And, and it, you know, chronologically, it was the last. And what had happened was I'd gotten to, whilst I was in the UK, I, uh, you know, I was, I, I, I already kind of knew the, the three before it, kind of knew what they'd looked like. Um, and it had happened, you know, whilst my dad, you know, he was in hospital for a month before he passed. So though, with each kind of iteration of sketch, it had informed how it was going to look. And then when I was in, in England, I, I, I decided to do this profit and loss. And that was going to be the last piece. This idea that, you know, it's, uh, the, the, the Egyptian god Amit is standing at a crossroads. And on one it, hand... It's, it's crocodile, lion, and... And a uh, hippopotamus. Right. Yeah. And, and, and it was very, like, and also, you know, he's holding the scale of judgment, the balance. The feather in the heart. The feather in the heart. Yeah. Um, and it was, it's not meant to be my father. It's, it's a lot more kind of um, ambiguous than that. But I, want, I wanted very specifically to, to inform this idea. So I, I put the cemetery gates on one side and this kind of road on another. It was like a, this notion of a, a spiritual walk, you know? Um, one being, you know, a place of rest and the other being kind of forever in, in sort of purgatory, in a sense. <coughs> and that makes sense as, as a, a, last, a last piece. A last piece. Yeah. Like, so but, what, what, what did you find that you, so had, you I, actually I, had something else you needed to say, though? Yeah, I the, think what it was was I realized that there was still something left unsaid. Yeah. And, and, and also, I, I wanted, what I wanted to do was I wanted the sense that, you know, I, I was finally with the, fi the third piece in the series. I wanted to close the arc. <laughs> I, I, I like neat endings. I don't like to neat, leave things open. It, 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 it's almost like that moment of riding off into the sunset. Um, so I, what I wanted to and do it does was, have a sunset. It is a sunset in yeah, there, yeah. yeah. It, it's a, it, in a way, it's, it's a little twee. Um, I, there is an element there where it's kind of like the end of a horror movie where it's like, he's dead or is he? Right. You know, there's that kind of moment there, like it kind of leaves you hanging. But what I wanted to look at was, I, I wanted to redress, I, I wanted to turn the mirror on myself. I wanted to say something generationally about what it is you know, it, it's very easy when somebody's passed to, to, I wouldn't say cast blame, but there are things left unsaid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I didn't want to leave that question. I, I, wanted, I wanted to redress this notion that generational trauma needn't be this thing that we continue throughout the entirety. You know, if I'm looking in, in terms of legacy, and this is legacy work for me. Absolutely. My real legacy is actually my children and my grandchildren. So what, what I decided was, initially it was going to be a, a kind of perverted twist on Christ being taken down from the cross, you know, with the... the that was a, what I immediately got from yeah, that was that symbology, yeah. With, with the soldier and the holy mother and the wise man. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I also was thinking about, you know, that, I, that notion of death where usually at that time there are very specifically three people and it's the policeman, the nurse or the doctor and the priest, certainly in Catholic faith. So, I, you know, I, I was thinking like those characters, 
I could have just painted anyone, but what I wanted to do was inhabit, give, give, those, give that responsibility in a sense to my children, this idea that, that, that they can put the demon, the demon being the generational trauma to bed. They, they're the ones that can lower it into the, the dark depths right. and be made clean. Um, because, you know, every parent has a shortcoming Certainly, you know, it doesn't matter how great a mum or a dad you are, you always become that, oh, dad. Right. You know, yeah. and you always <laughs> invariably become that. Um, you try not to, you, you, you know, you, you try to make, you try to improve on the, the example you were given every time. So I, I, I wanted the lap, last baptism, I wanted it to end on a, on a bit of a high note. I didn't want it all to be like, dark and dreary and no once and you once you explain that and especially when you told me that it was your kids that were yeah. lowering you know the the, the demon the, the demon yeah. uh, like that's that's hope like it's a it, very dark piece it is but it, it's full of hope it is full of hope but then you know it, the other thing is and and it was actually my wife Lani who said it kind of has like this double meaning as well where you're not really sure if they're actually saving the demon if he's been drowning right. and they pulled him out of the water I said that's brilliant that's was he, was he wearing the diver's helmet? Because I wanted to see that. Yeah, I, no, I, I mean, that's actually really cool because the diver's helmet appears in the first series. Right. So that's the, the whole, ultimate Easter egg. Yes. It's, it's kind of this idea, like the very first piece in the first series has this myth, misanthropic character. The idea that, like, it's a monocle, this lens that, like, he stares through and, 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 and you know, has a singular focus. But I kind of wanted to leave it kind of floating in the water away and this idea that you know like i say it's over or is it you know it's it's still here sort of thing so dum, dum, yeah dum. Dum, dum, dum. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it, it's i think it is now I, it keeps switching like my favorite piece in this series is now switched three or four times like before i saw them in person i had a very definitive favorite right. um and then now i feel like the last baptism is my favorite and I, maybe it's it, it's and I think it has something to do with talking to you about it yeah. and, and understanding it from, uh, from the artist's perspective. It, and that's one of the things I love. That's what galleries are for. That's what we're here for is that, is that right. interaction. Like it's, it, it exists on a computer screen in one form. And, I, and like I said, you know, I, had, I had my favorite picked out in that, in that format. And it, but it grew and it, it gained new life uh, in this environment. And that's why I feel like these environments are important. Yeah, I think... What I like about this series more than the others, and I think what I accomplished more so than any of the other series, is that there's a d definite story, a tale from beginning to end. It's, it, it's, a, it's, it's a circumstantial chronology because it happened, it un revealed itself as it went, like any story does. But, you know, the pieces all hang together and, and uh, although you can take them one out and it's still, it's still kind of like a, a you know, uh, it's, it's still linear. Yeah. It doesn't, it, it, it isn't something where there's an ambiguity to, to the point where you don't get to the end and realize what my intent was. Um, that's why The Last Baptism works because like I say, all the others are very much uh, urban they're very much laid to the earth, you know. Um, the last one is like this sense of being released, 
you know, this, this new territory that, you know, this, we're no longer on terra firma, we're no longer on, on firm ground. We're, you know, we're being delivered into, you know, this new frontier where I don't know where it's going. Where the, we've, we've left one of the passengers behind. Um, you know, I, I liked that the idea of it being like the raft of Medusa, mm. you know, where, where the sort of the, the ship had, had smashed and they built like a little raft and spent, you know, I think it was 13 days eating each other, <laughs> you know. I like that idea, so. Uh, I, how, how do the kids react uh, to seeing they, themselves? They, well, the, I, I actually thought, I, you know, I was, well, I was worried about that because I didn't ask them, first of all. I you just went ahead and did it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just yeah, went I ahead and did it. I can paint you. I, and I, I know, right? <laughs> if I want. I know. And it was funny, you know, because in the last series, I'd done a piece called The Death Eaters, and, and it was The Fly, mm. and I'd used my daughter as, as one of the sort of, um, the, young girl, the young girl in it, you know, uh, the missionary. And she's, she's, I'd, I'd had my daughter, like, pose, and said, pretend you're eating a fly's leg. <laughs> and so she, she kind of... I you couldn't have made it chicken, you actually yeah, had to like, <laughs> And, and her, her response to that was like, but dad, I'm a vegetarian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was perfect. Um, so this time around, I, you know, painting them, I realized that I, that was another thing I wanted to address, that this series more than any other, the, the face, the, the real human characters are, uh, like inhabit the world. I, I wanted it. I wanted the sense that the, it, it didn't feel so unmired un from the reality that we exist in. That like it, it felt tethered to to where we are. It, it's so odd that because like I think about you know Purgator Purgatorium was very kind of like almost. It's very surreal. It, it, ha it doesn't have this sense of being part of our reality. And then Paradise's Fall does have a certain element to that. But in, in terms of like its placeholder, it's, it's, not, it's not one singular era. It's like it's happening at different points in the same place. Mm -hmm. um, it jumps about, you know? Um, even though the, the geography is the same. With this, it's very specific to like almost like the same day. Yeah. You know, I, I like that about it. So, you know, including my kids in it, I, I originally had thought I'm gonna include myself and my sisters, letting the demon go. Yeah. But again, it, it, it felt too easy that it felt, you know, I, I'm, I'm advocating my own responsibility. I, you know, this is, this is a conversation, an internal dialogue that my children are gonna inevitably have one day as well. You know, I hope there are things that we've been able to accomplish in terms of our relationship and the, the way we communicate, but there are always going to be things left unsaid, and there are always going to be things that as part of my, dis, my personal history that make up some kind of dysfunction so you kind of hope somewhere along the line that those things are allayed and they're able to like, you know, let it go, you know, evolve, change. Um, and, and I have no doubt, because they're all smart and brilliant and, and you know, have extra, none of them have, I've had no issues with any of them. They either, 
I was a fuck-up for so many years. Um, my children all like knuckled down straight away and got, you know, respectable jobs and home, homes and have children. And so already they're, they're like, they're building a, a path, a, a way forward that is, is contrary to mine right. entirely. So, you know, I'm proud of that. And I wanted, I wanted to, ha having them not, having them be absent and me be absent as a parent for like, you know, now 16 years, I only see them through like the internet or when I go home to visit. I really felt like that it was necessary for me to include them as part of this process. Yeah. That they, they are equally, if not more important than the work that I've done. That at the end of all of this, that the legacy truly is them and not, not the thing that I've said. Um, I'm, I'm happy and I'm proud that I've done the work. I'm, I'm, I feel the, this, the, I don't feel the weight of, of full accomplishment yet. It hasn't quite hit me that process, but I, I'm aware that what I've done as a three, as a triumvirate of works, it, 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 it's, it's strong work. I'm proud of it. I, I, I did it in some of the most extraordinary circumstances. Um, and I was able to deliver on time, yeah. and it was—they've been successful. You know, they've sold, yeah. um, and people. The, the thing more so is that they've resonated with our community and other people, which is is all you, more than you can ask for. Um, Are you worried about the the void of always, this show in your life? Always of this series being, being done, being out of you. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, even the week before this one, I felt the sting of that even just because I'd driven this up here last a week, a week today yeah. and so what you're left with is the the sort of the mess of discarded palettes the the vacuum of the work no longer inhabiting your studio space right. so it, it feels like thing. a grief process it feels like you've birthed something and it's gone out into the world because in, in invariably when you let it go it's not yours anymore anyway it's, yeah. it's going to end up either on someone else's wall or meaning something entirely different than what you meant it to begin with. The, it now belongs to the rest of the world. Um, so I, I want, you know, I, 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 I know feel I that. experienced that when I work on a show for a year or oh, a year and a half. So I'm working on it 10 years. Like, honestly, I'm terrified for you. It's my <laughs> point. <laughs> like, like, like thinking about like that much I, no, effort. If it, like, I think I, I'm seeing it more as like, you probably process it much healthier than I do, so that's great. No, I, I you know what? I, I don't think that's the case. I, I, I think I'm glad that I was able to run straight into this last series, uh, this new series from the last. I think the void happened after Pegatorium. That two year, um, I, I felt listless. I felt adrift. I didn't really know. Uh, it wasn't my intention to do three. I kind of knew in, in the back of my mind, and then it was, Ulrich said, you know, you really need to finish this. And I was like, and I was like, and I was like, okay, you know, I, I, sh I should, uh, you know, he's saying it. Um, so I, I did, I picked up that baton and ran with it. Um, and I knew that the, the, the continuity of scale was going to be the same, that that 36 by 48 was that happy medium size for me that I could fit in the car. Sure. Yeah. Which always makes it nice, yeah. barely. Um, and also, that at the end of this, what I want is like this token, this kind of coffee table book, this idea that what I'm gonna do is compile all of these 
pieces together. Perfect size for a coffee table book. Absolutely. The pages will fit lovely on, on you know. And you're so going to include the, all of the sketchbook material, or a lot of the sketchbook sketches, material. Sketches, annotations, well. yeah. journal entries, uh, I anecdotes. love your sketchbook from this series. Yeah, I think the, the sketchbook's very strong. It, you know, it, it's been messy at times, but I, I, what I like about it is that, again, I'm able to, to mark my journey. It, it's, it's been very much kind of that thing where it's, it's become like a travelogue, where I can kind of go back and go, okay, I stayed in that Airbnb and it was terrible. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It was roach and rat infested. Uh, that other one, though, that couple were lovely, you know? It it's kind of has that kind of nice nostalgic tint to it where I can like, oh, yeah, I remember that, you know? Um, so it's been nice for that reason. But as I say, it's it, it standalone in, its, in itself. But I, I also feel like the work is, it's, an, it's anecdotal. It, it's, it's not, you know, the, the sketchbook only gives you an underpinning to, to what's happened, the, the, the actual work itself. It isn't fully necessary to be able to pick through those, right. uh, you know. Uh, but even so, you know, I think it's been useful for people to come, like they did last night, and, and look through the sketchbook. I could tell, you know, it gave it another facet, it gave people another inkling and understanding of what exactly embodies, you know. Well, when you're when work is as complicated and full of detail in symbols and, and I, don't, I didn't mean that as an insult complicated in the sense that there's a lot going on right. in each one you know anything to add insight to it is going to be fascinating right and I, I, like I said earlier like I love that you offer us that yeah at least some of it you know yeah you, it, 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 I've never been f afraid of, of revealing my my you know it's like that pen and teller thing you know I'll, I'll show you the magic trick, but I'll show, show you how it's done. I kind of like that. I, I like, I, I've never been scared of like letting people know what it is that I'm listening to or what, I'm, what, what is happening in my life at that time. Like in, on my Patreon, I, I kind of have this thing called Soup of the Day. And what I'm basically doing is I'm revealing, you know, what I'm listening to at the time, what I'm reading to at the time, what I'm watching, what, what things that have happened have, have made like, some kind of impact on me that invariably get filtered through the prism of of my work and and it, it may seem very peripheral it might not it might not have like a huge impact on the eventual work itself but somewhere along the line there's there might be a passage or a, a, a descending melody line or one part of a tv series that like makes such a, a necessary impact on you that you, you it, 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 it filters through. I don't know how it does it. It finds its way, and you you see it reflected back. Yeah. It, it's it's it, it, it. Your subconscious is is fertile with the things that you're in, that are like imbuing you and affecting you on a daily basis. So I, I like to do that with you know. I like people to say, you know, what are you reading right now? What are you? What, what is your Patreon address? It's 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 just patreon.com David Van Gogh, yeah. So I you know I like to do that. Um, yeah, I, I I like that. Like I, I like other artists to do that too. I've always, you know, you look at it and you think, oh, what's he thinking? How, why is he doing that? Like, right. what what's happening in his life right now? You know, well, art is such a mysterious thing 
anyway. Each, like it's you yeah. know it's the, you know you I know that you reference alchemy quite a bit, but art is the ultimate real alchemy where you're it really literally is. creating something out of nothing. So yeah. that that mysterious process is, is inherent in just its creation. Yeah. So getting to peek behind the curtain is always gonna oh absolutely is, is always yeah. gonna be a desire yeah. yeah 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 and that thing you said about Easter eggs as well you know there's a reason why that's like some of the best part of you know when you buy the special dvd because right. it has all these things the production notes and you know the director speaking and you know uh how is the music composed those things you know they may it, it, it all fills the the void that you you thought that you're hungry for you know uh so I, I like to do that i you know I, I again with the next thing that i do i don't it's not going to be as as fully involved in that level but i still so see does that, does that start tomorrow yeah. <laughs> like, like, do you, are, no, I are, you, are you gonna force a break or? I th I figured we'd just set the date for the show. Oh <laughs> shit! When we're done with this, we'll just pull out the calendar. Two years from yeah, today. Yeah, yeah, like two, two years, years from today. today. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck your life, David. Yeah, Get to I work. Might, I might. Well, I mean, they're going to be lots, a lot smaller. They're not going to be the scale anymore, guys. So, although there is one piece that's niggling at me right now, that's a lot bigger than these, this this entire series. Really? Yeah. Are our walls big enough for it? Yes. Okay. Okay. But will, will, it is, will, this is an important thing to remember. Will it fit through a door? Will I, I will it fit in my car? Yeah. Well, I got a van I can bring down. But yeah. I mean, I'm just saying that we we've had art that didn't fit through the door before. That was How big. how have you gotten that? How have you gotten around that? I mean, you taking the door had, out? I think we had like an inch to spare with mm -hmm. one of uh, Vincent's. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. we literally, if the door had been an inch smaller, we'd have been fucked. Right. We would have, <laughs> would have hung on the outside of the building. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I have to store these things. Yeah. <laughs> That's another thing. Because the bigger you go, it's, the harder it is to sell, you know? So, For uh, sure. You know, I, I, my house isn't, is, I live in the countryside in a little quaint cabin. You know what I mean? So I, it's, it's hard to justify storing these huge monstrous pieces when you're running out of space, but yeah. Yeah, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting because it's gonna be a lot more intimate, intimate and psychological. Um, but I'm happy. I'm, you, and you talked about maybe a lot of it taking place now indoors? Yes. Yes, yeah. not, no longer the, yeah. the, the giant countryside. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I want that kind of, I want people to be drawn in. I want people to have, have to lean in. Yeah. Um, I like that notion of, of, you know, I like people stepping back and kind of it consuming them, but also like that notion of people like pee peering into something and seeing tiny little details and trying to in some way um, decipher what's going on, you know, almost having to hurt your eyes, you know, to take, to get the, the message. Um, so I, I, I'll see. I, I know vaguely, basically, what it's going to be informed by, but how it's going to look, I, I have no idea right now. Well, we know one piece that's coming down the pipeline already. Right. So it's, it's, I, I don't think I'm talking, telling tales out of school, but we're doing a, I'm doing a collaboration with a very good friend of mine um, I've, I've known for as long as I've known Lonnie, 16 years. Um, but we were originally just internet friends. And then, gosh, like, I wanna say five years ago, I was at CoPro and she just walked in. Uh, Jasmine Beckett Griffith um, just wandered in with, with her husband, Matty. And um, 
it was a, it was a phenomenal sort of like oh you know we we've known each other all, of the, all for so much for so long and now we have like this real you know simpatico friendship and we write like huge messages to each other like not little novel vol, volume voluminous novel no, novels about our life and our ideas and stuff and then I was speaking to her over dinner about two years ago and this was just before she got cancer and she's fully recovered now thankfully but I kind of spitballed over dinner you know it would be really cool to see what a collaboration between the two of us would look like because what she does is very dis distinctively and definitively different but I got this sense as well that what she wants to do is is sidestep a little bit outside what she generally does you know when you you're hugely successful like someone like Jasmine you're you're pulled along by the momentum of a train your success in a way can be as equally um, restrictive as it can be freeing. And I get the sense, sometimes speaking to her, um, that she, she isn't fully um, able to challenge herself in the way that she would like or explore the areas of her skill sets in the way that she would like. So There's definitely expectation on her, I'm right, sure. Right, uh, without a yeah. doubt, a tremendous pressure. Yeah. And what she does is exquisite. Her work is, to, to, to look at it in person, it, 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 the, the, the canvas clothes, it's illuminated. She's a master. She's, she, is, uh, yeah. she has her, her line and her shade and her color. Is, is an, she's an old master. I don't know if you want to talk about it on the podcast or not, but when you told me the concept of the collaboration, okay. I nutted. So what had happened, <laughs> so what had happened was we'd, we'd, we'd played with this idea of, of, of death and the maiden, that old European tradition. Because I've always loved that that art, and and she loved that idea too. And I said, well, let's do it this way. You do death, and I'll do the maiden. So I did I did a little sketch, um, and it was like a crone, and it was my our first kind of like inception idea, and it was a crone standing over somebody who looks very much like Jasmine, with her hair flowing over her, you know, like almost like Gwyn, um, who's, the, who's the woman that rode the horse with the, the naked, nude woman? Godiva. Lady Godiva. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lonnie. Lady Godiva. And it, she's, she looks, the crone looks like she's sucking the essence away. And it was this idea, this interplay that we talked about, about aging, you know, um, and about potency. And, and then what happened was she got sick and and um, I discovered, we just, you know, she discovered she had cancer. And I felt, <laughs> I said, did I somehow, like, again, manifest this? I, I, so I said to her, you know what, you should... You've got to stop painting. I know, shit. right? <laughs> so I said, I'm, I'm not responsible. You're going to run with it this time. I'm going to let you uh, be the arbiter of, of how this piece looks. So it, it's for a show in November. Um, that we're going to do uh, here at the Dark Heart Emporium. We're going to do a piece together. Um, we haven't sat down yet and, and kind of sketched out. I have a few ideas, and she has ideas. Yeah. So somewhere we'll, you know, what usually invariably happens with Jasmine is she's just moved to Long Beach, which is great. 
Um, so stoked to have her. I know it's awesome. So it Welcome makes it it makes it easier for because she was flying from Florida. Um, she has a place out there, and so she she would just come for dinner and then fly back. So now she's actually got a, a, a spot. She kind of she's going to spend most of the time at this this year because she's got a show at Corey Halford Gallery coming up in in uh, on January the tenth, I think I believe, or January the eighth. And so we're gonna we'll go over for dinner, and we'll probably end up opening a couple of bottles of wine, and 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 then you know something exceptional come out of out of that little no doubt. jam session so i'm very excited about that collaboration that's dev very different for me yeah. and I'm, I'm i'm i like i say i'm i'm really going to be interested on how it what it looks like how we make that ox simpatico you know and we, i've talked about the possibility of of even painting over each other's work you know or or seeing like you you concentrate on this element and I'll concentrate on that element of the same figure, of the same character. So, yeah, it's it's a nice uh, a nice idea. And, and Your I get, styles are so different. I can't wait to see the interplay. Yeah, the interplay, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, no doubt that it's going to be amazing. Yeah, and what I want as well, I want that kind of like sense that no one can tell who did what. I really, I, I think you I'd be might really curious to stylistically, see if, that if we can do yeah. that. And it's going to be, so Jasmine works in acrylic. And, and I said, I'll work in acrylic for this. Okay. Um, do you, do that, I, you don't do that often, yeah? I haven't done it for, like, since I moved to the U.S. Because oh. I, I, you know, with the heat, the, the climate, I, I take a fucking long time over painting. So it, it does an immediacy to acrylic. Yeah. Um, and she's so quick and so fast at what she does. Um, so I, I'm, like, challenging myself again. But I'm, I'm hoping that somewhere within that, that, that or, you know, the alchemy of that, the, the, the styles mesh that but like out my fans and her fans are left scratching their head to kind of sure. see whose voice is, is there like so that's it's cool it's a nice it's a nice little sense of play that we've got, got gonna have going on so I'm excited about that yeah it's first exclusive right here yeah I'm telling everybody that's gonna know, be uh, that's gonna be a really cool show yeah I got some really good artists that's yeah better. and I can't wait to see yeah I know it's a great title I know Thanks. I should have thought of it <laughs> <laughs> Aesthetic, yeah, it's, yeah. It's one of those like it's a made-up word that means nothing and everything. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this again is another nice ambiguity there that when people like, because shows are so hard, group shows are so hard because you've got the mantle of of like trying to fit like a, a you know a square peg in a round hole. It, it's always like this. The thematically might not be something that you generally and do. That's one of the reasons why when I approach. Um, Proposing a group show, yeah. I really try hard not to create a pigeonhole concept. Right. Like I really like it to be very ambiguous. Like for Aesthetic, it's it's simply I think like what I put in the description: show me your version of beautiful. Yeah. And like that's it doesn't get much more fucking yeah. ambiguous it, than yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, I feel like that it's just enough to maybe create some weird synergy across yeah. the board, but not something that's obvious yeah it, it, it has yeah. that again it has that lovely ambiguity to it yeah. that word that you know you're not able to pinpoint entirely there are a whole manner of sins that could accommodate that word alone so I, yeah it's going to be an exciting show that I, I don't know if you've seen any of the pieces just a couple just yeah. a couple yeah not yeah. much not much 
Yeah, we, yeah. we used um, Ash Darks for the, the promo. Oh, awesome, it. yeah, Ash. Uh, it's a great, great piece. Amazing artist, yeah. yeah. Out there in the uh, Antipodes. On the yeah. flip side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> On the upside down, yeah. Yeah, that's just exciting. The, the, the lineup is really exciting for that one, yeah. yeah. That'll be my first kind of like dip of my toe back into the group show thing. Yeah. Since I, the last time I did one with you, which was like three years ago, I think, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was yeah. an anniversary. I think it was, like it was, this, a, it was, was a two year anniversary. Yeah. And, and in fact, it wasn't my this weekend, your fourth year anniversary. Uh, no, it's October. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah. I think we just did the show early. Oh, okay. Yeah. We, we, All right. we, we couldn't time it to the actual anniversary, oh, okay. so right. we, we, but technically our anniversary is October. Okay. Yeah, this is our fifth year. Yep. It's crazy. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, the, witch is, the witching month. Yeah. Yeah, of course it is. Wow. Absolutely. Why wouldn't we be obvious? I know, right? Forget yeah. a little on the nose yeah. there, what does it say? <laughs> what does it say on the tin, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what else, man? What else? What else do we got to talk about? What else do we got to promote? Do you got anything what, else coming? What's, up? what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Pistachio. No? That's fucking weird too. <laughs> <laughs> With mint chocolate chip. Oh God. That's yeah. Like, yeah. Leslie likes that one. I I, like, I have an old man's palate, so I like like uh, like butter pecan. Oh yeah, that's a nice one. That yeah, that that's is a good such one. An yeah, old man ice cream. yeah, it really is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm hardcore cookies and cream. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're hardcore for what? Cookies and cream. Oh yeah, Lonnie's the cookies and cream one yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't like ice cream that has like too much matter in it. You know. We're we're going over our favorite ice creams now. If you'd like to chime oh, okay, in. Okay, good. Yeah. What's your favorite ice cream, Lauren? Um, probably green tea ice cream. What with green tea? Yeah. Like matcha. Sure, yeah. yeah. I looked at it even when I was like a toddler. Okay. I liked green tea. I don't know. I've, I've, had, that, I've had that at a, uh, like a hibachi restaurant before. Green it's tea pretty ice. good. Yeah. 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 I'll have to give that a try. It's light. See, I have this thing as well about tea that it has to be hot because I'm British. Yeah. So the whole iced tea thing like sent me for a loop. The first time I ever came over, I was like horribly jet lagged. And I was staying on a Motel 6. And I went to... I went to Caro's, which was like this little breakfast place next door. Yeah, I remember Caro's. And I, I went and ordered tea. And, you know, she brings out a, 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 a glass with like this, looks like basically, as Lonnie describes it, dirt in water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I'm like, what is that? And then I touched it. I'm like, it's cold. And she goes, you ordered tea. And I said, oh, no, I want it hot. So she brings out the tea in you know a little teapot little yeah. stainless steel teapot and i'm like great can i have some can i have some milk please she, she brings back a glass of milk i'm like oh i'm getting back on the plane <laughs> but now even then it was like can i have some toast and in england you just get you know white bread that's all you get right. it's toast here it's sourdough great do you want you know all of these different options so you're spoiled, you're ruined in this country, but I love yeah, it. Yeah, except, you know, except we can't do tea, apparently. But so. you can't have tea, you yeah. can't do tea properly, yeah. No. Yeah. But you have all manner of teas here, green tea, what you say. <laughs> yes. I'm a breakfast tea, I'm a, a black tea kind of guy. This is the most... Scintillating conversation. <laughs> oh my God. Well, this is, this, is, this is the result of, of like, because we partied till dawn, 
we literally did party till dawn. Yeah. yeah. So so I I definitely feel like the old man in need of his Horlicks Dude, and his pipe and his slippers. <laughs> you know, before he goes to bed, it's definitely getting down to the nail now. Where you know. Well, I mean, I think we've said enough. Yeah, we were, we we've definitely hit our time mark. I was gonna say. But I just I, I want to make sure there's nothing so else cool, that we yeah. need to cover. And we can always edit the, the media yeah, yeah, conversation yeah, out. Yeah, absolutely, um, yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, next month, we'll, we'll announce next month's show. We've got Ego yep. and Carolina Seth on September 11th. Yes. So, um, in the meantime, come on over here and see Infernal in Yeah, the gallery's person. open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday now. Yes. So, you can just show up. You don't even have to make an appointment. Yeah. Yeah, welcome so. back. It's nice to be back, and I'm kind of proud to be the first kind of full, fully-fledged openings again. No, we, when we were hanging the show, like, I, I told Cross, I was like, this is, David is like the artist for this gallery. Like, <laughs> 100%. Like, I feel the same way. Like, though. when I think about, like, yeah. you know, when, we, when I first came up with it and we were thinking about, like, I was like, like, David Van Gogh, like, that type of art, yeah. like, it's just perfect for us. Yeah, and your gallery you know, conversely, is the perfect gallery for me. Yeah. It's just the same about shame about the people who run it, really. We're like yeah. two I mean, spoons. <laughs> yeah. We really are. <laughs> which, which, one, which one are you, though? I'm, I, either one, I'll take whatever I can get. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, thank you for showing with us, David. Absolutely. Um, congratulations. Very honored. The culmination. Very honored. Of 10 yeah. years' work. Thank you. <clears throat> Super powerful, really impressive amazing pieces thank you i can't wait for the book yes i'm excited yep. um you'll have to keep us uh, informed uh so that we can help promote and sell the fuck out of that thing yes yeah. it will be needed yeah i think what we talked about was doing a kind of pop-up opening where any remaining pieces from the free yep. series we'd hang and then i'd sell the book yes i we did we do like a signing day I'm all for the for gallery that. yeah hell yeah it sounds like a, a great well, idea we so. might need to some more walls, but I don't know. You guys are going to sell the shit out of this one, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but, you know. Well, we'll salon style we'll only have three like by four paintings. <laughs> <laughs> Just salon style the shit yeah. out of it. Or you should build some more walls. Yeah. yeah. You can always yeah. do that. Fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, we uh, appreciate it. We love you. Yes. And uh, we'll have you back in here soon. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been the Art Pit. It's been a fucking night. Pleasure.